showing off and dropping names with a true VIP from the world of music. Jules Holland, I was doing a big gig, a big charity gig, and Jules Holland was there, and I went into Jules's dressing room, and he introduced me to Eric Clapton. I'm not a huge Clapton fan, actually, particularly, but I just, I just froze, I just went, eh, and then the thrum. <laughs> Slightly weird. And then the other thing, there's a sort of wonderful magic moment with a great man called Frank Zappa. And Zappa with all those wonderful albums, you know, Penguins in Bondage and all that stuff. I met Zappa in a nightclub and I went, God, you know, Mr. Zappa, I'm such a huge fan of yours. What are you doing in London? And he went, I'm doing four sold out shows. What are you doing? <laughs> I've really good put down. I <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ask William and Friends, the podcast. We all have that special something that makes us smile as we remember the long, hot summer days beautiful sunsets, laughing at nothing in particular while sipping long cold drinks and listening to music that inspired us throughout our lives. Our next amazing guest is someone that has provided that special something for thousands of people over the last 18 years by hosting Oxfordshire's favourite summer bash, Cornbury Music Festival. His credentials with Inside the Music Business are unquestionable. His company, Sound Advice, have been the force behind so many successful events and we are delighted to spend the time with the quintessentially British gentleman of music business, the charming Mr Hugh Fillimore. We're alongside with my partner in crime today, Miss Jill Rayner, from Oxfordshire's own OX magazine, we discuss new ventures, old memories, and saying a fine farewell to the Cornbury Music Festival. Please do note that the room that we recorded in on this occasion didn't allow for the perfect recording. However, we do like to interview in relocations and these things sometimes just can't be helped. Sit back and enjoy the laughter. Hi Hugh, thank you so much for meeting with me today. The theme of our podcast with Ask William and Friends, with the collaboration with OX Magazine, this month is The Great Outdoors. Um, if I think about my perfect summer day, it would usually consist of time with friends, mm -hmm. uh, select family only, um, <laughs> laid in a field, drinking champagne and listening to amazing, fabulous music. Oh my God. <laughs> so on the back of that, I can't think of anyone better to speak with with regards to this than the man who had the vision behind Cornbury Festival back in the day. We are currently sat, to start off the podcast, in a really beautiful venue in the middle of Stroud. Mm -hmm. What is the story behind this fabulous place? We are sitting in the boardroom, as it's grandly called, but it's also one of the dressing rooms at the Stroud subscription rooms, built in 1833 by public subscription. The people, the, uh, the millers of Stroud wanted a nice hall where they could have their parties and things. So anyhow, it was built by public subscription and I have the honour of running it as the volunteer director for the last two and a half years, I suppose. Uh, just took it over and then we had COVID and I've redecorated it, uh, rebooted it all round and put a great team together and we started doing shows last July, I suppose. The Beatles played here twice in 62, in March and September, and we're celebrating the 60th anniversary with a concert with the Bootleg Beatles. And we're enough of anoraks that uh, we found the Beatles' original service. Wow. So it's absolute crap. So uh, they hadn't really written any good songs in 62. So um, we're going to do 20 minutes of that. And before the audience leave, we're then going to uh, go into... What I actually found when designing the poster, I couldn't say the greatest hits. Because you can't say greatest hits and Beatles in the same sentence. <laughs> I discovered. Oh, really? Well, you can't. Because every song is a hit. Yeah, yeah. Every Beatles song 
And was that uh, a success when they played here? No, it's a disaster. Oh. Uh, McCartney says it was his worst ever gig. I sent him a note. <laughs> I did his wedding to Heather Mills and I did his end of tour party at the Cavern, uh, weirdly enough, supplying the band in both cases. So I know his management team a little bit and so I sent them a note saying, I hear Paul has again said that the subscription rooms was the worst ever gig. So can, I, like just, can I just say that I have now fixed it and if he'd like to pop in on the way to Glastonbury. So we started a, a, a campaign, hashtag get Macca back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm afraid we've been met with silence so far. Oh, that's but can I just right. say, you said you did the... Yeah, so the I did the... I provided the band. His manager rang me. He doesn't have a manager. He's a promoter, a lovely man called Barry Marshall, who's one of the gods of the music business. And Barry rang me up one day and he said, can you find me a big swing band for a Swiss watch launch outside Dublin? And I went, of course, Barry. And I put the phone down and I went, we've got McCartney's wedding, everybody. <laughs> and, I went, and I went, McCartney's manager, we need me about a Swiss watch launch outside Dublin. It smells good to you. <laughs> and he was sweet. When I got to the gig, Barry said, oh, when did you know it was McCartney? I said, will you call me? Yeah. And then we got a call on a Tuesday night at nine o'clock to do the end of tour party on the Thursday night at the Cavern in Liverpool. And we did just any band we could find, really, a funk band. Um, the only proviso is they had to know how to play Let It Be, which I suspect is a must for most musicians. Yeah, yeah. And we played a 30-minute version of it. So, uh, <laughs> for various reasons, I won't go into now. So were you a Beatles or were you a Stones fan? I think I was just a music fan. I'm a train spotter, Jill. You know, I, I know just love all sorts of music. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a, you know, a bloke with a pad at the end of the line. I'm a bloke with a set list and a pen, as I was two nights ago. One of my heroes, Curtis Steigers, you're all that matters to me, um, was here. He was, he was, he's on tour with Barry Manilow. Wow. Do you know Barry's 79? Well, they're amazing. Anyhow, he's selling out shows. It's all going great. And uh, Curtis is the opening act. And I looked at the dates and I saw there was one day off between Cardiff and Newcastle. So I sent Curtis a note and went, would you like to? So, yeah, a lovely night on Tuesday. And, yeah, he signed the set list. So I am transported. But you are, because if you look at the old Cornbury posters, mm. which is obviously naturally where we'll come in. <laughs> Sorry. If you, if you look at, to drag me back to subject. If you look at the bottom of them, yeah. you've got Jack Savaretti uh, on yeah, them. Yeah. There's like Little Cafe Nero's stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now he'd be headlining. Yeah. So I think if you look at the old Cornbury posters and yeah. look at the bottom, yeah, 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 yeah. they're now all the tops. Well, I had a slightly embarrassing moment the other day. I booked the very, very talented and very lovely Graham Goldman from 10CC, who goes out with this lovely tour called A Pocket Full of Songs, because he wrote songs for the Yardbirds and all of that. So he was a song, big songwriter in the 60s before, and he was kneeling down in front of that poster over there, because right in the corner it says 10CC. And he... I said, what are you doing, Graham? And he went, I just wanted to show everybody what a big push you gave 10cc <laughs> in, two, in 2008. I had a very bossy designer called Jules Barmer who did all the Clashes covers and was a well-known designer. And, and he bullied the shit out of me, if I can say that, because he would all go, it's about the design. And I would go, but I'm paying £170,000 for Paul Simon. He seems a bit small to me. <laughs> So anyhow, we fired him eventually, and then you see, and then you see the other posters actually have the band's name bigger than. 
Sorry, where were we? Colbury Festival. Colbury Festival. Festival. Best day out in the country that you can, a man can ever have, or a woman, or a child. You have been in the music business for quite some time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of compliments you're nice, today. You're a very nice man. Uh, tell me I'm an asshole, it's fine. <laughs> but where did it all start, Hugh? I was led astray by my older sister. So as a quintessential British gentleman, you decided to get led astray and get in the world of the world of fabulous festivals. I was a talent scout first. I was a slightly crap drummer. Uh, I went for a couple of auditions. I fell off the stool in one of the auditions. <laughs> and as my head hit the back, hit the floor of the rehearsal room and the lead singer went, next, uh, I realised that you know, wasn't it wasn't you. for me. Weirdly enough, I, by the end of the week, I'd got this job as a scout and my job was to see 40 bands a month. And I had a very, very small motorcycle and a very small expense account. And I used to motorcycle around the country going to see all these bands. And actually the band I failed the audition for came to see me, which was quite funny. They went, aren't you the drummer? I went, yes, anyhow, gentlemen, your cassette seems to find its way to the bin. No, of course, they were all a good band, actually. I tried to work with them. So yeah, that and then friends of mine... All my posh friends went to Oxford and Cambridge mm. when I was sitting in an office on the Albert Embankment in London and uh, being a town scout. And they asked me to do bands for their parties, for their 18ths and their 21sts. And they went to Oxford and Cambridge and I did what we'll call the Camem or the Mabels. Okay, yeah. So we did about five or 600 of them in the next 20 years. Wow. Then we started in the 90s. Uh, we started to do... Uh, corporate bigger corporate shows bigger private shows uh we did for Deutsche Bank we did a jazz band the first year Lionel Richie the second year Stevie Wonder the third year so we did all of that sort of stuff and yeah the bigger shows and yeah a lot of outdoor parties and things so it all started then with the college Mabels yeah it started with the Mabels which are all nighters so and we used to do three in a row so we'd get up on a Monday morning and go to bed well the university students can party long and hard well exactly so they went from they started at nine at night and they finished at eight in the morning sounds wonderful doesn't it Uh, well it's fine on day (laughs) one year I did five on one night once Mm, wow Uh, and I was bicycling around Cambridge with all the cash in my pants and uh uh, and as it got later and later uh, and darker and darker, I had a crash um, as I was running between paying bad manners on one thing and Humphrey Littleton on another. And I was sort of lying on the ground uh, with a sort of broken bike, thinking this is the easiest robbery everyone's get, anyone's going to have. going to sleep in a bush. Anyhow, I did manage to get up and continue. But yeah, so uh, all that stuff. And then in the 90s, I started to book a festival called Belga Beach, which people thought was short for Belgium, but actually it was the biggest cigarette brand in Belgium. (laughs) So it was like sort of, you know, players, Navy, whatever. So yes, that was my first experience of booking a big festival. And I booked Bowie and Pesh and (laughs) Oasis and Inixas and Megastar. So there was a a big leap from obviously the Mayballs straight into your first big one. Well, I did private parties. Uh, I also ran a management company. I managed a little bank called the Chevalier Brothers, who was sort of punk jazz. Okay. And then I managed the James Taylor Quartet, and then more recently, Imelda May. So I had a management company, I had a party company, and I was also a festival booker. So those three sort of ran along mm. together, a bit of cross fertilization, as it were. 
but yeah, I wasn't sure about taking on the festival. And then I spoke to a lovely agent called Ben Winchester who looks after Oasis and now uh, Noel Gallagher and people like that. And I said, but I can't do this, Ben. And he said, it's just the same, just with extra noughts on the end. Yeah, yeah. And I went, <laughs> okay. So, um, and so it's great. Every agent in the world will take my call because they think I might be coming with a million pounds for their artist to appear at, you know, some fantastic party somewhere. Yeah. And they're rather disappointed when I'm ringing about the subrooms, whether they can do me a favour <laughs> in a 500 capacity. Um, as, a, as a scout hunter, though, back yeah. in the day, I yeah. mean, obviously we see things now that's on TV where you yeah. X Factor and all this sort of stuff. What, what yeah. do people look for? I mean, you know, I'm sure you get a load of people that can't do it, i.e. you as being a drummer, but what captured your <laughs> eyes? What captured your eyes when it was, when it was searching for the band? It's, it's so... I mean, sometimes I used to go to five shows in a night. In London, you could do five shows in a night. So you could start, there was a, was a showcase, or quite often there was a showcase at Ronnie Scott's at five o'clock in the oh, afternoon. And then you'd end up in Madame Jojo's at midnight, <laughs> which who did kind of, after the cabaret or between the cabarets, they used to do kind of band things. Um, and, and like I am here, everyone jokes here, I'm first three songs and then I'm out. Mm. You can, but within the first three, you can work it out. Mm. So you work out, can they sing? Have they got whatever it is in terms of present, presentation, star mm. quality or whatever, and look at the audience. Mm. So you can do it kind of relatively. I've missed the ends of some great shows <laughs> yeah. um, because I'm always <clears throat> nipping. And then on a really bad night, you keep on missing every show. So when you get there, the bang, thank you very much, good night. So you go to the barman any good? and you go to the barman, any good, any particular songs? And then you're in the dressing room going, I love that particular, <laughs> I've always thought you were great. And then it was exchanging cards and cassettes in those days. Yeah, yeah. Um, I saw Aha in the early days, uh, lovely band, the Stray Cats. Oh, um, I loved the Stray, the Stray Cats. Cats. I mean, when the Stray Cats played a show called Dingwalls in London, um, I mean, most of the music business was there at that point. I mean, to see a band properly rip it up in front mm. of the entire business, they were like, everyone's, you know, Sony are over there, Universal, everyone's just like, oh. pitch. Um, and Jamie, Cull the night Jamie Cullum got signed, uh, Pizza Express on Dean Street, that was amazing. So it's all of those kind of moments that are really exciting. I trudged around the countryside and every time I, or often, particularly in Scotland when I open my mouth, someone normally wants to put a bottle or a, a knife in it. Uh, so I had to be sort of quite careful. Glasgow on a Saturday night, not my favourite. Um, good knees and tatties. Good knees and tatties. And then the band would sort of pick me up at the station and take me out to Glenrothes for some gig. And you think, I'm stuck here. Um, and um, anyway, um, it, it's been amazing. I'd, I've seen extraordinary... It seemed terribly colourful. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's quite boring and mundane, really, but I'll make it sound good. <laughs> so you have met so many artists over the years. Mm. What would be one of your favourite guests or most memorable? Well, I love Lionel. We've done a lot of private shows with Lionel Richie. Mm. I was the first person, I think, to do a private <laughs> show with him. Uh, we did Deutsche Bank in the Natural History Museum. I asked the client what was the mix, male, female, and they said it's about 60-40. Uh, it wasn't, it was about 99-1. And I persuaded Lionel to play solo, which was also a bit of a mistake. 
So he, we had a sort of string quartet, he came down the stairs, he started to play, and he was playing these great tunes, and the noise got louder and louder. Mm. And all the bankers were on their huge brick phones, this was 96, 97, I suppose, on their brick phones to their dealers or their hookers or whatever. And, uh, and Lyle was sort of, and then he stopped mid-song. And I remember going on the kind of radio, going careful, I think Lionel's going to walk, I think Lionel's going to walk. And uh, he was so brilliant. He stopped the show, he went, guys, 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 guys. And they all sort of shut up. He said, I'm Lionel Richie. I've flown over from LA to entertain you tonight. I've won a few Grammys. I've written some nice tunes. And the other thing is I've got most of you laid. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, uh, and then he went, he went, when I finish my show, Maybe we can have a little chat about pensions, mortgages, loans and things. But right now, this is my moment. And you've certainly got laid to this. And he played easy last Sunday morning. Standing ovation, did it, did it. And on his way out, he went, Jesus, we were a bit close there, weren't we? I went on earth. He said, don't worry, don't worry, I'll fix it. So the next time he came to London, we did about 12 private shows with him. The next time he came to London, he bought with him another keyboard player and a sax player and they did it as a trio and it sounded like the whole Commodores and all of that but he's very funny Uh, he'll do kind of most things I've had him up and down fire escapes all sorts of things Um, he he does the grip and grin or the meet and greet very well he'll remember everyone's names the children itsy bitsy bitsy and ditsy and while you do the maths exam and how's that getting on I give him a little crib sheet he does that we do the photos, he smiles at me, and I go, anyhow. <laughs> and then he does this thing of, he sort of, when he comes on, he said, I was just passing Jill's house, and I saw the lights on, I saw it's a bit of a party going on, so I thought I'd come in. Oh, man. And everyone goes, God, Jill knows him. <laughs> so much. And he does it every time. Yeah. So it's absolutely brilliant. We've done shows all around. We got uh, we did a show in Gdansk for some Polish billionaires like John Wayne. He got arrested, um, and you know all sorts of mad things. Jamie Cullum's pretty amazing. I used to do a lot with Brian Ferry, and and how was I? So um, do you know what? He's just. I thought I was going to die and go to heaven when I stood on that table at Cornbury and convinced myself I'm going to marry him after, after you, Hugh. I just, what I love about Brian is, is the very lushness of it all. And then he's got a girl on keyboards, a girl on guitar, two backing singers, two girls. And, you know, no one could get away with it apart yeah. from Brian. Slave to love. And they do the whole bit, basically wearing a bikini. Um, so I, I love all of that and Jamie is indestructible I did a party once in North London and the kids had booked Jamie for their parents um, 70th birthdays and wedding anniversary and, that. and when I got there for the Jamie was just breaking he was, he'd sold out an Albert Hall and again this was a day off luckily that yeah. coincided with the party and um, the daughter said to me when I arrived she said, oh, I told her, she said, we were watching Parkinson the other day and, and Jamie was on and uh, I said to my mother, look, what do you think of Jamie Cullen? Simply can't stand him, jumped up, badly dressed, midget. <laughs> and I went, why are you telling me this when we're, in three hours time I'm putting on on this stage? Anyhow, so, um, anyhow, Jamie turned out, it was all great. He did it solo just at the piano. Mm. So there was a cooking demonstration from Anton Mossiman for 30, 70-year-olds. I had to flambe up, whatever it was. And then um, the little granddaughter got up and went to Grandma and Grandpa on your wedding address. Um, Jamie Cullen, 
and the curtains went back. We did a reveal, which of course in the party business is what you do all the time. And the mother's face was like, <laughs> and Jamie came out, and he did. He just stood there and went, and he sang. It ain't necessarily so a cappella. Yeah. Um, going, my else going. Um, and he was so brilliant and so endearing. He got them all around the piano to sing backing vocals to Radiohead's Don't Leave Me High, which is one mm. of his things. And he was doing, you know, cartoons for the children. Couldn't get the mother off him. I mean, just <laughs> really. I mean, <laughs> but you can put him in any situation pretty much and he will turn it. Yeah. So you need an artist like, I mean, Lionel was the same. We had dinner in Gdansk. Um, he very sweetly said, "Join us for dinner." And I, I laughed too much. I laughed at everything he said, uh, which is slightly embarrassing. But um, he said, "I never forget. I'm the hard hand." So you know, uh, you need to remember that you're the cabaret and you're getting paid, and this is what you have to do. And he's very, very good. And an artist who kind of know about that, you know, a couple of people, Rod Stewart. Not really, uh, Mick Hunt. Not, mm, not really, um, but you know, you, we what we do is we try and create an environment with a dressing room and a car and a hotel yeah. and a this and that, so that everything is is done perfectly. If it's the Jelly Babies with the black ones taken out or the yeah, yeah, I won't go through some of the other things we've done. But I mean, that's yeah, yeah. My, my job here at the subrooms and at Cornbury and on a private show. <clears throat> is with the odd exception is to create an environment where the artist will give their best performance or if they're throwing a tantrum and they're going i'm not going on you know you have fulfilled (laughs) everything you know there'll be no you know i've injected artists i've given them huge bags of i mean you know you name it whatever please tell me the randomest request the random well, I think Rod Stewart's sushi chef in the middle of Irish countryside was quite annoying, um, but he was generally quite annoying. It's helicopters, it's colour of cars, it's my favourite. See, I was lucky. I started off the first big show I booked in 1981 was uh, a charity ball, and it was Paul Young and the Q-Tips and Hot Gossip, and uh, Paul was a lovely, amazing man. And um, but the rider had a hooker, who two hookers in it. So it said you must apply to uh, ladies of night, and they must measure the following measurements. And I was like, you know, twenty-one or whatever. Okay, right. Can I get girls or us? Can you? Anyway, so so when he came to the dressing room, and there were two girls sitting there going, "Why are we doing this?" <laughs> and of course, I didn't realise it was a joke. <laughs> so um, and everyone was going. And I went, well, it's in the rider. <laughs> I had to pay them to go on. I'm in pool. Yeah, I'm sitting there going, quite scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, all of that sort of stuff. If you do everything, you know, I've worked with the Sex Pistols. I've worked with Frank Sinatra. I've, I've literally covered all the bases. You know, I, I'm a charming butler is my role, yeah, really. Yeah. But I can be a Rottweiler if you don't go get on that stage and I've done everything. If I've missed something, then fine. Yeah. But I've, I've managed to get everyone. The only person I haven't got on stage, mainly because she, she cancelled, was Vanessa Parody. But I sent a doctor to her house in Paris to check out because they'd cancelled. We paid them 
And then the moment the money cleared, they cancelled for the next day. And um, I sent a doctor to her house and, to, get uh, to get a report. Yeah. And the doctor said, I think she may be insane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> At which point, I thought it was probably better to find someone else. <laughs> so I got, funny enough, I got Bjorn again at sort of eight hours' notice. Wow. And they got on the ferry and came over yeah. and got bottled for their troubles. But I'm like, <laughs> they were fun. So these are all your friends now, though, you? No. You called a friend? No. Or no? No. My first boss was a terrifying man called Bill Martin, who co wrote Congratulations for Cliff that won the Eurovision in 60, whatever it was. And um, Bill used to come out with these terrifying phrases, which for an 18 or 19 year old didn't make any sense at all. And he would, <laughs> big Glaswegian shouty man, and he would go, Never forget the artist is the enemy. <laughs> I can enemy and of course he's right the, yeah, the artist yeah. is the enemy and also his other phrase that I always remember was uh, it's not good enough that people know you've got a gun but that you'll use it <laughs> guns <laughs> say anything about guns <laughs> but you know it's, it's right in both cases you know don't get friendly with the act it's always funny you know I think it's happened with Lionel and it certainly happened with Curtis not with Jamie, thank God. Uh, but you know, like, you know, you've had a few shows with them, and it's all great. And they go, anyhow, Phil, good to spend time with you. And you go, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, it, it's that thing of it's nice if they're pleased to see you. I mean, it was funny. I had a nice chat with Robert Plant the other day. Jules Holland's kind of a, a lovely man. Um, I'm a huge. I'm, I'm really a fan, though. I served Chris Difford from Squeeze his dinner next door. The other night, I literally was putting a, a rug on his legs and then I set a little table and he went, you're not going to serve me dinner on a tray. I went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, why, why wouldn't you for a man who wrote all those great songs? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited about... I, it's just, it's the delivery. It's putting that person on a stage and watching the audience go, wow. I had Gino Washington here the other night and Gino's 79 now. He's had a stroke. I used to work with him a lot in the 80s and I was a bit nervous. I introduced him to my son, Luca, hysterical. I said, um, I said, you know, Luca wants to, to meet a real pop star. <laughs> and yeah, then Gino told him some extraordinary story about being a musician and getting laid and holding back. And yeah, when he got on that stage and he, you know, we had to do one step at a time, he got on that stage and it, the moment he opened his voice, I mean, I kind of wept. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. It's having that thing and, and God, you know, I'm, I'm still excited 40, I did my first show when I was 16, so give it a few years, and I would have done 50 years. Wow. And look it. Oh. There's a compliment. There's a huge bulldog way. clip at the back, pulling it all together. I told you she, she was the Hugh Grant. <laughs> she has. She has done this. Oh, uh, dear. Next. <laughs> This conversation with Hugh made me feel like a real VIP and it reminded me of my experience I had last summer whilst I yachted through the beautiful Med with Sun for New Mediterranean Voyages. They really do pamper you with the attention to detail. You get fresh food daily, keeping my glass topped right to the rim, teaching the history and culture and giving me plenty of opportunities to nap in the sun and sleep under the beautiful stars. This magical experience was absolutely delightful. I highly recommend you book a holiday, so please do feel free to visit sunfunnew.com. How would your friends describe you, Hugh? A show-off. No, uh, <laughs> a name-dropper. Uh, um, 
they're just sort of overexcited, I think. Yeah. I mean, you need that in this industry. My ex-wife <clears throat> and the key is ex. Um, I think just got bored of the Hugh Fillmore show a bit, and it's not because. It's not because I'm showing off. It's because I can't wait to share it with you. I want you to feel the same way that I do yeah. about what it, whatever it is. I want to go, look, 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 look. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Isn't that made you all? You know, yeah, yeah. It, it's about that. Um, I mean, I've got in the, in the loo here, um, I've got Prince William's letter for the 21st. That, so I did the couple of bands at his 21st. And... Not only were they incredibly lovely, ordinary people who you felt kind of sorry for, really, but also I was a bit exhausted that week. We'd done a corporate show, we'd done a private party, we'd done all sorts of stuff in the days when we did four or five shows in a week. And then on the Saturday, I was doing his party. <laughs> and um, everyone was being a bit wet about the finish time. And, you know, I hate parties going on and, you know, it all becoming a bit messy and the vomit and, the, you know, yeah, so anyhow, we got to sort of four o'clock and the party was meant to end at four. And I said, well... Four it's, in the morning. Yeah, four in the morning. And I said, you know, is someone going to tell him? And the boy went, oh, no, no one's going to tell him. I went, oh, bollocks to that. So I went over and I said, I'm quite tired, William. So you've got half an hour. And, <laughs> last uh, drinks. Last drinks, everything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a, it was a jungle Tarzan-themed party. There were was a lot of... Palace? It was at Windsor. Uh, it was at Windsor. Windsor. Anyhow, in the thank you letter, it's got two, three great phrases. One is... My grandmother enjoyed her spell on the dance floor. Uh, and when you said the party was to finish, I knew there was to be no arguing. When he's king, I'm going to blow that up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have it on there. And the other thing is, thank you so much. Loved it so much. Let's do it all again. What are you doing on Thursday? Oh, wow. Which is such a sweet, <clears throat> sweet, throat> sweet throat> way. And you doing. put it in the throne. You said it's in the bathroom, is it? Toilet. It's in the toilet here. Yeah. Not many acts see it. Every now and then, the Bjorn again lot came out and went, is that him from who? I think it is. And I went, yeah, it is. So it's, it's a nice thank you letter. I've got a client in October and I'm doing a wedding party and I think she's 35 and I think I did her 18th. Wow. And they're very funny. They ran me out and they're just checking whether you're still alive and are you available to give us some good music for our party? And it's, you know, absolutely horrendously complicated, middle of nowhere, nightmare. But, you know, hopefully. The first time I did a party, we did Turkish trip hop for her. Seemed to work. (laughs) (laughs) I was telling William Mm -hmm. about posh stock. Yes. Uh, My friend, well, he was a friend of mine at the time, Mark Ellen, who was co editor of The Word magazine with David Hepworth. Okay. Lovely uh, music mag. Uh, they became Cornbury sponsors in the second year in 2005. Um, and they, he nicknamed it Poshtop. I was appalled. I was appalled because, you know, not that I'm in denial about my background, but it was just, it was a sort of tag that I didn't want particularly. And then I thought, well, better than shitstock. Uh, I managed to always find a golden side. And then I was rather hurt when Wilderness became posh stock and Cornbury was sort of slightly sidelined. Where did it come from then? Woodstock? Yeah. Is that where they got the back up? Yeah, 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 yeah. So they didn't go very far on there. Yeah. On there. But it was nice. If posh stock means, you know, every, most people know I've lost a lot of money on Cornbury, partly because I refuse not to have VIP lose. I mean, you know with ticket sales, the graph is pretty steady. Mm. You know quite early on how much you're going to lose. And, you know, you could cut this and cut that and make it less 
friendly and less cozy and less high end. But I just, I wanted to hang on to a great experience for people. If posh means plight, you know, my team have been with me, 95% have been with me for 20 years. Mm. We're like a family. We all cover ourselves, you know, uh, kind of uh, all of the things we do, we try and do absolutely to the best. You know, I have a no arseholes policy. We've got rid of anyone who was difficult. I, someone, someone, some manager arrived a few years ago and said, are you all your people on drugs? And I went, I don't think so. He went, they're just far too nice. <laughs> they're far too what? Far too nice. Oh. You've been frightfully helpful, but far too nice. <laughs> I mean, Toby, so Toby, one of my lads who works with, you know, he's been uh, doing a bit of tour managing, a bit of freelancing, and he's been to a couple of festivals recently. Mm. And I went, don't leave me, to-. Actually, I said, you can leave me, Toby, because this is the last call, Brew. But and he said, it's absolutely staggering how rude everyone else is. <laughs> you know, and I'm there working with the band. And everyone's like, what are you? I suppose it's very family, though, for you. And I, where did it, my question was to, where did the idea come from? It was a very silly idea. I lived next to Cornbury Park Estate. A friend of mine was doing an event for Land Rover. He said, you know, there's a marvellous park next door. And I went, I had no idea. We got in a car, we were driven around by the youngest son who thought he was a rally driver. <coughs> I think my head hit the roof of the car more times than I can remember. And, you know, it's just an incredible park. Mm. And I came out with the fateful words, oh, this would be a nice place to have a festival. Yeah. So I thought we'd start a festival. It would be wildly successful. I'd retire from the day-to-day scouting and jazz band at wedding parties I was doing. I would live this bucolic life in the Cotswolds in a beautiful cottage at Shorehampton. I'd work six months of the year. It'll all be... <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't happen like that. And you'd have been bored, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I definitely would have been bored. I love a full plate, you know, yeah. I, it's just... Yeah, I wanted... Uh, we were talking about Barry Manilow. Uh, I was talking about Barry Manilow with Curtis Stargis the other night. Uh, you know, why would you be on the road at 79? Well, for the same reason, Eartha Kitt was on the road when I worked with her and she was 80, whatever. And there's a guy, the promoter of Barry, of Barry Manilow is a guy called Danny Batesh, who again is one of the old gents of the music business. And Danny did the early Stax tours and he did the Beatles tour. Danny's 84, it turns out. No one knew, no one asked. Yeah. Where's Barry going to die? I don't know, <clears throat> the side of the stage or doing the guest list yeah, or whatever yeah. he does. I mean, why not? Yeah. I tried my parents. My father was a, was a Victorian and he was quite an old man when I was born. And he hated the fact that I was in the music business. It's just not something a gentleman does. And, and for years, he would send me, every week, he would send me cuttings from the back of the Telegraph or whatever, with jobs, you know, circles like this. And, so. and of course, my parents were snobs. So the kind of moment we start, I started doing royal jobs, I did Prince Charles's 50th. And, they were so and, proud. And they were sort of, I, I, was, I was the waiter at, my father was 80 and my mother was 60. And they had this joint party. And I went round with the canapes. And I overheard both of them showing off about me. I thought, yeah, I thought yeah, you'd never say that to me. Yeah, yeah. This is marvellous what little Johnny is doing in insurance in London, but Hugh has just started off. <laughs> yeah, you just can't let go. Okay. But I mean, it's that, you know, to, to, to be lucky enough to do something that, you know, I mean, my father had a heart attack at his desk so, and then decided it wasn't a proper heart attack. So went out and got a sandwich and had another one in reception. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of, you know, I think I'll head that way. I keep on joking that 
we all know where the defibrillator is in this in, in this building. It's just down the road by the TSB or whatever it is. I remember. Um, so I did. I went to Henley Festival, and it was when well Elton John was on. I only went for Elton John's performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had the black tie area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so weird, Henley, that that does that. Yeah, and it, well, it's a very small gathering, especially when it's hot. It's five thousand. Yeah, yeah. I used to know the Booker. He was finally fired. Was he? Yeah, I put my hand up. Went meaning, and actually, his assistant had been there for eighteen years watching him fuck it up. And she went, "Actually, Hugh, it's my turn." There you go. Oh, my turn, yeah. My turn. But he uh, he came on that night, and it was very formal. And I thought, well, this isn't a festival I felt before, you know, because Wilderness mm. Lake's got Cornbury. I've been to on many occasions, yeah, because um, obviously I love it. But we went in there, and I remember. I mean, it was terribly awkward because they had um, because it was in that that sectioned seating area. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, they had to have everyone seated, and you had two rows of disabled guests in wheelchairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Elton came on, and he looked absolutely fantastic with the glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Luke sort of stood to a corner because I thought I'm going to do a bit of dancing. I can't just sit oh, on exactly, the exactly. Anyway, he came on, and he said, uh, "He said, first of all, it's nice to be here. Second of all, I am not playing a single uh, key on this piano unless all of you." get off your seats mm. and get to the front and start dancing. Well, obviously it was seven o'clock at night, so everyone had had a good old session throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, chasing rabbits or whatever. Anyway, they just all piled over. There was wheelchairs flying left, right, <laughs> security running in, he started playing. It was absolutely amazing, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it was an absolute shit fuck. Yeah, because yeah, we were yeah. trying to get people off people yeah. in wheelchairs. And next night was Shirley Bassey, and I went back and I was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> I my face up against a wall with these guys up their tits. But anyway, he was such a, a massive, fantastic artist. I absolutely loved it. He's incredible. I worked with, I had a terrible night with Shirley because I did her for. That should be on a t shirt. <laughs> Just that. <laughs> we, had, uh, we were doing a gig at the Guildhall for Chase Manhattan Bank or something and uh, they'd had a long day I think they got up with a, they had conference at 7 and anyhow Shirley was up and they went we want Shirley Bassey after dinner and I looked at the <coughs> schedule and I went uh, you'll have Shirley Bassey before dinner because I think you'll all be asleep mm-hmm. and uh, anyhow we put her on they'd had cocktails and canapes and they sat down and gave her Shirley Bassey and the applause was and she was dying she was, it was absolutely, and she's sweating and sweating. So I went sort of four songs in. I thought, I can't, I can't see this. So I went on with this huge bunch of flowers and covered our faces, and she went, get me off this fucking stage now. So we both sort of bowed. I don't know why I bowed. Maybe I curtsied with her. I think yeah. it's all I Anyhow, we got into the room, and she went, Jesus Christ. Um, Anyhow, I put her in her room and I literally just come out of the dressing room and the, the kind of events rep was there going, you will get that woman out of the thing. You've only done six, three, some four songs and you're meant to do eight. And, and I went, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, look, that you can't appreciate Shirley Bassey. Mm-hmm. You know, so, she went, and they went, you've got to get her out for the meet and greet here. We promised 12 people that they'll meet her and everything else. The great thing in my favor that it was the night that O.J. Simpson drove down the motorway followed by the police so there was so there was live coverage yeah. of OJ driving with the police car so I went in to see her she was sitting there in her dressing gown looking marvellous I have to say and we sat there and she went come on come on come on look at this and we sat there eating smoked salmon sandwiches drinking champagne it. and then suddenly there's a knock at the door so I went and about the meet and greet I went, oh shit yeah Shirley do you mind if we do the um, oh shit and it was fine and we went out yeah. and did it and all of that kind of stuff with Elton, we did. I did two shows with him. I'd had a terrible 
Stevie Wonder show that hadn't gone very well with Deutsche Bank because he was too beautiful and Stevie was lovely and, mm. and they kind of they basically you know won big sounds and Stevie was too lovely anyhow so with Elton I tried to cut the set I said how long is the set and they went 90 minutes I went no no no, no, no. 50 I'll be fine and you're not 50 because of course I was so frightened but with Elton you forget he played solo literally pump piano player mm -hmm. every song's a hit they yeah. were standing on the tables it was absolutely amazing and then we did another band show with him a few years ago and he we didn't announce him or anything we did they they were all sitting at table something else and he just walked on and he started wow. with the bitches back the room went just <laughs> bananas but it was great because it was you have to stand you have to stand. There's no kind of blindness yeah. with that one. No. But yeah, I mean, I'd love to. I think it's probably too late. I'd love to do one more show with, with him if, if I've got... Hello, out there. Is there a client with a million quid? Because um, his last um, public... Is it this year, is it? Well, I don't know. I think it's meant to end in 2023. I know his people quite well. And uh, they've already said that you know he'll be available for private shows forever. Yeah. I, because, I, you know, I, I think he's... He's a workaholic, uh, obviously he's dry, so he'd rather be out and working. I know he wants to spend time so, with the boys, but probably not every night. Yeah, yeah, a bit of him time. Yeah, exactly. Doing what he does best. Exactly. Yeah, fantastic. And so this is going to be, as we mentioned, the last Cornbury Festival. Mm -hmm. Core Jill's been there before. We did 2017, you did such a, a great edition of OX. Saying goodbye, and then I ruined it by going. Oh, no, you right didn't then. ruin it. I'm very sad this year. I realise there's only two I haven't been to. Oh, really? Only two. Wow. And why That's was that? quite something. That is quite. That is that really is quite something. That's quite it something. Is. I know. Why were you not there for the? I two? think you'd only just started. I wasn't there Airway. for the first one. Were you there for Joe Cocker and Amy Winehouse? No, 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 that That's the second year. That's great. That's sort of no. my favourite year. We had. Uh, Kat Kidson was a sponsor, Waitrose were a sponsor, Amy was great, it was for Four Bad Boys and Drugs, Joe Cocker was my hero, Elvis Costello, it was fab. No one there, obviously, lost a fortune, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we're coming this year, so that's good. And I've got friends coming in from London who are doing the full week of VIP. Wow, So thank you very much yeah, indeed. So I'll be very, very excited to see that. Good. What do we have in store for this year? Well, just really, we, we were going to try and mess about with it, but obviously with a couple of years of COVID and this, that, and the other. And to be boring, my costs have gone up by about, about 300 grand. Um, so what we decided is, is just really kind of go back to basics, have great bands on four or five stages, have great food, you know, mm -hmm. and have a proper nice time. I mean, I, I quite like, I mean, it's turned out not to ultimately, I think people want more, but the idea of just not being bombarded with things to do and that you just have to stop mm -hmm. and you have to have a bit of a lie down and find a corner to sit and listen to songs mm -hmm. and have another drink or have something lovely to eat and just hang out with Go friends with and yeah just not you know i don't need an origami class and a lecture about politics particularly mm -hmm. i just want to hear some great tunes and some nice toilets and some nice toilets mm -hmm. our toilets are cleaned more often than anybody else's uh, and some tarty flirt. And some tarty Every flirt. Every year. Every year I cure. So excited. Brilliant. Um, so obviously you've met many, many people, artists over the years. Yeah. Does anyone stick with you that sort of left you starstruck? Weirdly enough, two people I 
stalled with. One's obvious and one's obscure. Uh, Jules Holland, I was doing a big gig, big charity gig, um, and Jules Holland was there, and I went into Jules's dressing room, and he introduced me to Eric Clapton. And I just... I'm not a huge Clapton fan, actually, particularly, but I just I just froze. I just went, eh, and then left the room. <laughs> Slightly weird. Um, and then the other thing, there's this sort of wonderful magic moment with a great man called Frank Zappa. And Zappa, with all those wonderful albums, you know, Penguins in Bondage and all that stuff. I met Zappa in a nightclub, and I went, God, you know, Mr. Zappa, I'm such a huge fan of yours. What are you doing in London? And he went, I'm doing four sold-out shows. What are you doing? <laughs> A really good put down, I think. <laughs> and foolish of me not to know what he was doing, but yeah. I was a fan. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, Robert Plant's been very funny. I've met him a few times. Jules is always lovely. I mean, you know, generally people are nice. There's one or two who aren't. And, um, but, you know, there you go. So if you had an opportunity to do another festival or a private event, who would your dream lineup be? Well, I think that after dinner... I'm going, to, I'm going to give myself three, I think. After dinner, I would do Leonard Cohen. Because although people say it's very depressing, it's not. It's life-affirming. Mm. Mm. You know, that wonderful voice. I went to see him a couple of times, uh, once at the Overhaul and once at the O2. And he was just, you know, I'm three songs and out. You know, two and a quarter hours later, I hadn't even looked at my watch, let anything else. He was absolutely amazing. I mean, I think I'd probably, you know, I'd probably have Jamie because he's lovely. Mm -hmm. I think I'm programmed to want to have things that everyone else would enjoy as much. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I love listening to Van Morrison records, but Van's lovely, but horrendously difficult to work with. Yeah. So I could do without the grief. So I do, I think, yeah, Leonard... Jamie and Lionel Richie, I think, because mm -hmm. we'd have to be all night long. <laughs> so final question, I think. Yeah. Um, why is it coming to an end in terms of the festival? And what is, what's your plan for the future? Well, it's really all about the subrooms. Um, this building, I've fallen in love with this building. It needs saving. It's a hard gig to run a venue like this. Um, obviously, I'm using all my contacts to try and get everyone through the building. If I can succeed in making this solid, well, it'll never be solid, solid, but if I can make this financially pay for itself. I mean, you know, Cornbury's been lovely, apart from losing a million quid, it's obviously a bit out. Um, but, um, you know, there's some great memories. But ultimately, you know, it'll be a thing that, you know, every now and then you might see someone with a battered old Cornbury shirt going, did you, did you, did you ever... So there'll be a nice sort of memory thing. But I think in terms of the longer term, a building in a community that does great things, I want to win, you know, next week we're up for venue of the year in the Gloucestershire Awards. And then, you know, I'd like to be best venue in the West. I'd like to be best small venue in the country, all of that stuff. So we can go on, you know, delivering great sound, great tech thing. I can serve people dinner, you know, from our lovely chef and this, that and the other. And we can really have a building that kind of sings, that gives those kind of experiences that we've done at Cornbury, but, you know, on a smaller scale. Yeah. 
I think that'd be fine. And ultimately a blue <clears throat> plaque, obviously. Uh, um, possible build, building rename. Yeah. Except I hate Hugh. I've always hated Hugh. Terrible name. Hugh's bar. Really? <laughs> Hugh's room. I don't know. I think I don't it's think got a ring so. to it. I don't know. Mike but, Scott for the Waterboys was here the other day. In fact, he's coming next week. And it, when he went on the stage, he went, welcome to the Fillmore West, which I thought was quite funny. No one else got it, obviously. I mean, if it can be a lovely, fun venue where nice people come and play well, yeah, that'd yeah. be great. And actually, for the for the community, you know, no. there's a lot to offer here. But this yeah. has centre point of this most beautiful building yeah. in the centre of Stroud. I mean, it's amazing. There was a woman who came in yesterday who said it is. She'd been to Mace, you know, Mavis Staples and Macy Gray were two acts last week. She said it's so amazing to have a building like this, to see artists like this, mm. and to live down the road. Mm. I mean, I wish I'd grown up in a town like this where there was a gig. Mm. be lovely. And Luca, my son, is working in the cafe, mm. doing paella night, does sort of gigs and things. You know, incredible for him to have that experience. Can I just say one thing yes. from a cornbread-goer <laughs> of the years? <laughs> You have given me some of the best memories oh, babe, of thank my you. life. Thank and you, thank you. I would you. just like to say thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for supporting amazing. me. You've been incredible and OX Magazine is incredible. Yeah, thank you so much. You've been amazing. Thank you everyone for listening to our sixth and final podcast of the Ask William and Friends Series 1. I hope you enjoyed listening to them as much as I enjoyed making them with our very special guests. A huge, huge thank you to the incredible Hugh for participating in the Grey Outdoors edition. Please do let me know your thoughts and do subscribe to our series. Feel free to share with people you know and share the love. Our next series is underway and as always it will feature a fabulous guest from far and wide. I am excited to think that you will be with us so please, please do stay tuned. You can find us at Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, all the best.